0: Um, My name is Alex Sheets. I'm the outreach minister here um, walking through the book of Exodus. We are in our Exodus series right now. For those of you that are joining us for this first time, so glad to have you here. Um, The book of Exodus is such a pivotal book in the timeline of the story of God because in the book of Exodus, it is redemption. When you think of the book of Exodus, you can think of Redemption, historical, concrete redemption happening when God reached in and saved a people and made them His own. We are looking at this book to try to understand what is redemption and who is this God that we try to follow. That is why we're in the book of Exodus. Tonight, we are talking about God's power, the power of God god 's mighty hand and outstretched arm, or we can just say it like this, the incredibly huge biceps of Jesus. if you have nothing else from this sermon, that's what I want you to remember. just kidding, just kidding, but guys, I mean seriously, like he holds the whole world in his hands. I mean seriously, like that's I mean think about it, you know, just think about it i've been thinking about it but We've been taught. We're talking about God's power tonight. God's power to save. God's power to redeem. And we're talking about this idea of power and talking about this idea of strength. Um, I feel like I can understand a little bit when it comes in, in the idea of, of strength and power. I know what it's like to be strong, and I know what it's like to be to be really, really weak. Um, my background in high school, I was um, I was an athlete. Um, <laughs> It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. I was an athlete. Um, I played. Uh, I played track. I played. I played track. I played. Uh, I played powerlifting. We're talking about power. to powerlifting. We're gonna. We're going roll through this. We're gonna roll through this. And I. Uh, I was in football. And I was a really, really big guy. I was. I was two fifty-five back then. Big guy. And uh, I. I know, I know the power of time. But you guys are you got me tonight. Um, and one time, when I got to experience both the idea of, of strength and and lack of strength, I got to go to a powerlifting meet. Pierre, this is for you. It was the state powerlifting meet. Yeah, that's one okay, Thank you. Nope, no pictures. Um, just take my word for it, guys. And while I was at um, while I was at this powerlifting meet, see, for those of you that aren't familiar with the idea of powerlifting, it's actually it's it's incredibly simple. Okay, in fact, it's so simple even I can do it. Okay, what, what you do is you get on you get on the bench, and you do as much as you can, and you get on the squat and you do as much as you can, and you get on the deadlift and you do as much as you can. Three lifts, powerlifting, very simple. Um, it's called powerlifting for a reason, but. I thought I, was, um, I thought I was really strong. I thought I had it together got to the state. Um, but when I started on the bench press machine, um, we're warming up. This is, this is the state meet, so it's a, it's a really big deal. You know, the nerves are high. Um, I was warming up with another guy next to me. Um, and you know, guys are guys. And so he's like, hey, man, what do you, uh, what do you want to warm up with? I'm like, man. Whatever you want to warm up with, you know, like I, I can do. It. I'm, I'm good. Okay, powerlifter, here, I can do whatever. We do whatever. He's like, all right, put a, put 3:30 on the bench to warm up. He's an, He's an animal. Okay, I was a strong guy, but 3:30 to warm up with guys, that was incredible. See, what I didn't know at that time is I was warming up with the guy who was going to set the state record at the time. He was going to get over like 415 at that, at that meet. And so here's what I did, okay? This is this is confession. Strength and weakness in a moment, okay? I'm, uh, I'm spotting him, and he does it like it's easy. He warms up with 330 pounds on, on bench, and then when he's going to take his wrist straps off and he goes to get, let me be on the bench, um, I'm nowhere to be seen. <laughs> Because what I had done is I had snuck away, and I warmed up with the 135-pound guys over 100 pounds less than my current body weight at the time. Not my best moments. My friends were there, and I said, if you tell anyone, I will kill you, but this is confession at the time. I know what it's like to be strong, and I know what it's like to be weak. And uh, honestly, strength and weakness, it hasn't been a very big deal in life. You know, there's different kinds of strength. Um, personal strength is nice, but at times you can take it or leave it. Strength, or, strength of character, um, what the Bible speaks about, is, is much, much more to be valued. That's 1 Corinthians 9, um, training the, the spirit after things. There's so many of the ways that we can think about strength. We can think, think about strength of army. We can think about power like electricity. There's so many different ways, but uh, I think we can agree on this. When there Is great need. When there is great need, power is something that is very, very handy to have on your side. The greater the need you have, the more you're desperate to have someone that has power that's for you, that's with you. In World War II, the entire nation of Europe experienced A great, great need. In nineteen forty to nineteen forty one is the years nineteen forty to nineteen forty one is called the darkest hour in europe europe 's darkest hour, 1940 to 1941 and what was going on in that moment, the Nazis were waging a very, very effective war against the Allied powers. Um, they were just going on and on, taking all the land. France had actually just fallen against them. This war just seemed to be falling and just just be hopeless they didn 't have an the ally that they thought they had was not there, um, and it was only a matter of time before England was on the verge of collapse. This is uh, the famous moment when um, Winston Churchill gives this was their finest hour speech, if you want to go look that up later. There wasn't a lot of hope in this darkest hour because power, strength, seemed to be on the opposite side. It seemed to be against them. But the darkest hour was only 1940-1941 because in the year 1941, December 7th, 1941, America joined the war. I know you've heard of Pearl Harbor, um, the attack on uh, Pearl Harbor Base. That was the moment when America joined the war and the Allies gained a powerful ally as well. And in that moment, in that moment, the year that was the darkest hour turned. Something changed, and the war began to advance, not because we were the greatest nation of all time, not because we are invincible, but because there was power on our side, and a powerful ally began to move for them. To prove a point, uh, um, this is just kind of a fun fact that I I looked up, um, because I I just get into a little bit of of history deep dives, and I had to really... Take stuff out because I don't want to just overload you guys with World War II. Um, America's yearly production of of wo- for the war effort. So think tanks, planes, um, bombs, whatever. Um, America's yearly production in the year 1944 exceeded that of Japan's in the entire war. Just. All of America was thrown towards this war. They were called the sleeping giant that had been awoken and had been pushed towards the allied power. You see, the darkest hour changed. A time of great need switched because of a new and powerful ally. Tonight, the people of Israel are going to be in their darkest hour. And it is not going to get darker for them. We have seen a descent for them. Hope will be, has been lost and has gotten bleaker and bleaker. In uh, chapter 6, verse 9, it will say their spirits are broken for what's been happening to them. But it is at this moment that God Almighty begins to step in and begins to move in their behalf. So we're going to be in Exodus 5. And I'm going to summarize Exodus 5, and then we're going to land in Exodus 6 to talk through it before moving to the second half. Um, If you remember last week, uh, Drew talked about God sending Moses to Pharaoh. Pharaoh. He says to Moses, you will be God to Pharaoh. I have given the human the mouth to speak. I give the human the eyes to see, and you will go and you will speak on my behalf. Here is the moment. All this buildup, all this rising action. Uh, Moses goes before Pharaoh in Exodus 5, and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Let my people go, speaking on God's behalf. And Pharaoh says, No. You kidding me? No. It's like, Who is this Yahweh? Who is this Lord that you speak of? I do not know, nor do I care about Yahweh. Get out of here. He actually says, you're lazy, get back to work. (laughs) It's kind of interesting. And then Moses even says, let my people go, please. He starts starts begging, begging Pharaoh, please let my people go. Um, And Pharaoh does not relent. I want to remind you of a few things that are happening in this moment. Two things specifically. Um, One, Pharaoh, a human being, just denied, just renounced the sovereign Lord of the universe. He says, I do not care. I do not know who this Yahweh is. He is not powerful. No. Completely rejects his authority. A human being. The second thing that's interesting is Pharaoh thinks he is God, literally. Not like a metaphorical, like, not like, like he's really arrogant. He really thinks he is God, like the incarnation of the sun god. He says, I don't care what your God says, I am God. Get out of here. I will do what I want. And then in verse 6 through 19, Pharaoh not only denies what God says, but he increases the pressure on the Israelites um, I would say um, he overreacts is a is a way of uh, is a way of saying that. Um, see, they had to make bricks and part and they had to build monuments. And Pharaoh goes to the slave labor to the the slave masters, and he says they still have to make bricks, same bricks, same quota, but take away the materials that are required to make that quota. Fulfill that quota. So now they have to go find the same bricks and fulfill that quota. That would be kind of like me asking you to build a house and then telling you, by the way, you have to go make the materials for the house. It is an impossible task that Pharaoh puts on them. And the people of Israel are so angry. They're so angry. I mean, put yourself in, in their shoes. Like you have this guy show up You're already in a really tough situation, and he says, I'm going to free you, and they're like, okay, and then he goes and speaks to the main boss, and then not only is there no freedom, no redemption, but it's the opposite. Your work increased. You'd probably be like, what the heck, man? Get out of here. No one asked you. The people are so angry, and they confront Moses in 5.21. They're saying, you have not helped us at all, and may God judge you. And in 5.22, the Lord, Moses confronts the Lord. So Moses went back to the, verse 22 says, So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people, and why did you ever send me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. You have done nothing, God. You have not stepped in. No redemption. In fact, you've done worse than nothing. The the labor of the Israelites has doubled. Up to this point, the Israelites have been enslaved. They have a king over them for multiple generations that is actively trying to kill their firstborn sons to control the populations. They have double the labor that they had before, and now they have no hope. They have a God that is not only distant in their minds, they have a God that is promising rescue, but just appears so far off. This is the darkest hour for the Israelites. 6-9, their spirit was broken. They couldn't even hear the words of God to them. But this is the moment, in this darkest hour, that God says, now, now you will see, now you will see my hand and my power moving among you. I don't know what it is that makes God wait or that makes God seem so far off, I don't know if he was just waiting for the right time until there was the bleakest situation possible. But he wanted everyone, the world, to know that it was only God, only him, that brought them through the darkest moments into their light. And guys, I just want you to remember this. When we look forward and we look at our life, I hope that you, in whatever moments you're in, you don't think that you're too far gone or life is too much to handle because God reaches into our darkest moments and He can always move. Now is the time. Now you will see what I will do. Let's look at our text for tonight Exodus 6 1. But the Lord replied to Moses, Now you will see. What I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. Because of a strong hand, he will drive them from his land. Drive them from his land. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, the El Shaddai. But I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. Now I'm going to pause right here. Because I know there's a lot of questions about this verse. I've actually heard some of you guys ask questions about this verse. And I'm going to be honest with you. This is a verse that has a lot of different ways you can interpret it. There's actually three main ways you can interpret this text. The Hebrew is not super clear. The first way is what you see right there. It says, I I was known as the El Shaddai. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew me as this, but now you will know me by a new name. I was then, but now I'm known as this. That's the first way. The second way is more interpreting the name as a character. I was known in Genesis as the almighty God, the powerful God, but now you will know me as the God of redemption, the God of covenants. That's the second way. First, new name. Second, a new revelation of character. But the third, and this is what I think is uh, the most accurate, um, the sentence in Hebrew could read a little different than uh, most English interpretations um, give it. And and I want to be lenient to this our our Bibles because um, this is a very nuanced structure. But but here is what one scholar named Francis Anderson notes the Hebrew structure uh, looks like. Instead of reading a contrast, it was this, but now it is this, he reads um, a poetic parallel. So the sentence looks something like this. I am Yahweh, and I showed myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai. But my name is Yahweh. Didn't or surely I make myself known to them. Surely I made myself known to them. The emphasis is not, I was, but now I am. The emphasis is, I am am, and I still am. Surely I made myself known to them. And the reason why I believe this is, because as you look at this text that we're about to walk through, um, it begins, ends, and in the middle of it, Yahweh keeps saying His name. He keeps saying, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And if you read, Exodus, or if you read Leviticus, he will say, I am the Lord, so much it's like, what is, he, what is he doing? Why does he keep saying, I am the Lord? We get it, you're the Lord. Like, we got it, we don't have dementia. But when God is saying that I am Yahweh, he is signing his name. He is, it's like he's, he's writing a check. These promises that he's making, he's saying, do you want to know why you can believe that redemption is coming? I am the Lord. Do you want to know why the law stands forever? I am the Lord. It is based on who He is. I was the Lord. I am the Lord. I always will be the Lord. And in the Lord there is redemption. That is why the Scripture said, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Because He is a God of redemption. The Lord is putting His name on. On these promises, the beginning, the middle and the end. and in these as we walk through them, I'm going to do this quickly and so we can just see the structure. He's going to start in the past, he's going to speak to their present and' he's going to give them hope in the future. So let's move to verse four you've already heard that I am Yahweh verse 2, then he begins in the past verse four. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant begins in the past. And now he speaks to their present situation. 6. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God, and you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from forced labor to the Egyptians. And then verse 8, he ends with hope in the future. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Begins and ends with his name. It will happen. See, he keeps saying this. You, you, you saw it twice. Actually, you saw it three times. In verse 2, and then you saw it in, around Verse 6. He mentions his hand, strong hand, twice, and then outstretched arm. The time has come. He says, now you will see the Lord moving. Now you will see an outstretched hand. Now you will see God move with with a strong hand and drive them out. And I will bring you to myself. Yahweh, the Lord, has, in a sense, rolled up his sleeves, reached out his arms, and he is getting serious the power of God will soon turn their darkness to light and He will show all of the world what it means that He is God Almighty. El Shaddai. That is Exodus 6. The power of God turning their darkness to light and moving towards redemption. And I like to spend the second of our half um, reflecting on what God Almighty means for us. So, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back in a moment. Okay. So in Exodus six, we talked about the uh, the mighty hand of God, the outstretched arm, the incredibly large biceps of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for for this section, uh, for this session, I just want to spend some time reflecting on what that means on the. God being almighty, all-powerful, the El Shaddai. Um, we say that stuff a lot in Christian circles. Um, we say that He has power. And we say that He has all the power. But I'm, I'm just going to confess to you uh, tonight um, that I've been, I've been reflecting on this for my studies, and um, it is just such a comforting thing to be reminded of who is the God that we serve, um, and I hope that in this any way this could remind you of God too, of God's power. I hope that this could remind you of what we're going to end on with Ephesians 1.19, That you can see the heart, the eyes of your heart may be opened to see the immeasurable greatness of His power towards those who believe. So we're talking about the power of God, and I want to do this a little differently um, than we may be accustomed to. I just, I want to think about it. I want to spend some time reasoning um, about the power of God, and I want to do that mathematically, and I'm, I'm not the best at math, and so you've got to forgive me. I am a pastor, after all. We went to Bible college, and that wasn't, that wasn't our skill, um, but I want to try and talk about the, the power of God mathematically. Um, Power is energy that can be directed um, based on your will. Um, If it's a biological process, like eating food, and you have the power, um, your basal metabolic rate, you can now live because of the power given to you by food. Um, You can lift things because of your will. You have the power to lift things. Um, It can be mechanical, like electricity. You turn the light switch on and power floods the room. There's a lot of different things that we can think about power, but power is energy that can be harnessed. One of the greatest examples when thinking about energy and power is that of a star. I don't know when the last time you guys looked up, we can't really, we can't really see stars, but I think I see one star. And that's it. Oh, two stars tonight. So, two stars are there. Um, normally, if we're outside of town, we see a blanket of stars that are just always there. Um, the psalmist says that the heavens pour forth speech. The heavens praise God every day and every night. They just speak of his wondrous power. And tonight, at least we see two, two stars that are pouring forth speech and telling, telling of his power. Um, but I want to talk about stars for a little bit. Um, stars are cosmic generators ba- that run off of nuclear fusion in the night sky. And NASA tells us that there are at least a septillion stars. Yes, septillion. That is one followed by, and hopefully I counted this right, one followed by 24 Zeros of stars in our sky. See, we're in the Milky Way universe, and that's just a small little district that is in a complete galaxy, just filled with stars, filled with whatever that number means to you of stars. A septillion number of stars. But that's a lot. Let's just consider for a moment one of those stars, which is our star, um, the sun. It's a, a, good, a good star. Um, you remember it a lot uh, when you're getting sunburned, um, kind of annoying at times, and then you miss it in the winter when you're uh, missing your tan. Um, but the sun uh, works on nuclear fusion too. The energy, we're speaking about energy and power, that the sun puts out, it produces in a single second, thirty-eight hundred trillion terajoules per second. Thirty-eight hundred trillion terajoules per second. I think I got my place value right. If someone uh, can see that I'm wrong, you can heckle me in the group me later. Remember that I'm a pastor, not an astrophysicist. Um, that. Incredibly huge number, 3,800 trillion terajoules, which is um, a lot of kilowatts per hour, um, is equal to about 400 billion one-megaton nuclear bombs that the sun produces in one second. 400 billion one-megaton nuclear bombs... That is also equal, if the Earth could just use that number, whatever that number is, uh, if the Earth could just use it, it would power the Earth for 650 years completely. And the sun creates that every single second. That is an incredible, incredible number. And I want to remind you that there are a septillion number of those things. In the night sky, talking about energy, talking about power that is in the world. Bear with me for a moment. With this, where does all this come from? Where the septillion stars, the nuclear fusion, the terajoules, and the, the kilo whatever, where does where does all of this where does all of this come from? You can say the Big Bang, and I'm actually okay with saying the Big Bang, but, but just, just keep in mind a couple thoughts. One, energy had to come from somewhere. The law of conservation says that matter and energy cannot be created nor destroyed so that whatever we see in this universe has always been there in some sense. It didn't increase, it didn't decrease. It was there. And two, whatever, whatever caused... This energy, this, this septillion number, this this this, this whatever, whatever, whatever caused this, had to be equal to or greater than it. That is the first law of thermodynamics. If a reaction is to happen, it has to be equal to or greater. So whatever started this had to be bigger than it. Where did all of this come from? Septillion suns. In a moment. And the Bible speaks that God, God Almighty, the El Shaddai, spoke it. Spoke it into existence with a breath. He said, Let there be light. What force? What power was present in God that not only does He speak it, He reigns over it constantly. Listen to Isaiah 40, 26. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each by name. Because of His mighty strength, not one is missing. The Bible says that not only does God's strength reign over the stars, He knows each one of them's names just like He knows your name. God has all power and He's intimately associated with His creation. What power are we talking about when we talk about the mighty hand of God that works for His people? The crazy thing is, the Bible thinks like this it thinks like Isaiah 40 26 and it thinks like the psalmist that we've said but that is not what the Bible marvels at when it speaks about the power of God it doesn't it doesn't just sit in the heavenly hosts when the Bible just wrestles with the power of God it moves to a different place Isaiah, the same person that spoke about the sorry hosts, he says, Isaiah is a prophet, and he knew the stories of Exodus. He knew about this mighty hand. You you saw the mighty strength language in in 4026. Um, And he was looking back to Exodus, and he was looking back to the time when God's mighty hand reached in and saved his people in a single time and redeemed them for himself. And Isaiah was looking forward to the time when God would do it again because he knows Yahweh. He knows the kind of God that he is. Isaiah is looking for the arm of the Lord. And in a moment, Isaiah sees that arm. But what he sees was not some abstract force. What he sees was a person. Isaiah 53.1, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then he goes on to describe this person, this man, who lived a good life. He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have, it like, he didn't have any impressive form and majesty that we should look on him. But... He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and because of his wounds, he was healed. We are healed. Isaiah sees the arm of the Lord, this mighty strength, fully on display, fully revealed for all humanity and all time, and he sees Jesus Christ, He sees Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life, who did only good while he was alive, who healed people by the power of God and whose power is aimed to bring you and I back to relationship with the Lord. I don't know what you've heard when you think about God or when you think about this grand God that's over the septillion stars that are out there. But when you think about the power of God, do you think about the gospel? Because the Bible, when it comes to the power of God, it it comes streamlined to this moment when Jesus Christ stepped in and He died on our behalf to make you and I right with God. That if we choose Him, we can have a relationship with the One who created the stars. That's what Isaiah says in 53 verse 6. He says, we all went astray. We all chose our path. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him, this person, for the iniquity of all of us. When we chose sin, when we chose to define good and evil for ourselves, when we chose to make ourselves God and make the good things in life, the ultimate things, just like Pharaoh did back in Exodus, when we choose what the Bible calls sin, Jesus stepped in and he took all of that. And that is what the Bible, this moment when Jesus took all of our sin and says, that is the power of God on full display for you and for me, this ally moving towards you. Romans 1.16 I am unashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. The power of God fully available to you the same power that spoke Genesis in Genesis, that spoke the world into existence, the same power that brought people out of slavery is now here for you and it is in Jesus. It is the Gospel. It does not get any better. It does not get any greater. You don't move on past the Gospel. My Christians in the room... It is not the gospel and then we've learned it and we've moved on. The gospel and then we can learn some fun theology. It is the gospel through and through. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for you. You have to let the gospel be every part of your life. Do you think about your work? Think about your relationships. Think about your future. Has the gospel saturated that completely? Has it changed you? Made you a new person? Because if it hasn't yet, then you need to go back to it. We don't move past the gospel. The gospel is the power of God, the power that all the heavens speak about, available for you. We are grounded upon it. We grow up in it. And we always, always, always turn back to it. My Christians never, ever move beyond the gospel of Christ. Some of you need to experience the power of God for the first time. And what I want to encourage you to do, I don't know your story, I don't know where you are, I know there's people from a lot of different parts. Um, when we come, different faith backgrounds, different journeys. But my prayer for each and every one of you every night is that you don't walk in here, listen to a sermon, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's boring, and just leave with more knowledge. My prayer is that you know the power of God in your life. That you can say you know God that God is changing you. He's bringing you from darkness to life. That you are leaving things called sin and you're walking in Him. My prayer is that you experience the power of God and some of you for the first time. And if that's you, you've got to turn to Him. You've got to turn to Him and accept you, accept Him in your life. And I just promise that He loves you and He's willing to act in your life in so many powerful ways. He has moved in my life. He has saved me from sin. He has saved me from depression. He has saved me from loneliness. And He can save you from so many things, but you've got to let Him act. My prayer is that some of you experience the power of God, hopefully for the first time always again. My prayer is that others of you can trust in the power of God. We live in a very anxious age where we know everything. We see everything on Instagram. We know the news from all across the world, but we have so little control. And when you have knowledge without control, that only leads to fear and anxiety. And fear and anxiety reigns so much of our life because we can't control so much of life. But I've got good news for you. I know the one who can control life. And he controls life every single morning. It says he calls forth the stars by name. God has power and he has power for you. Can you trust him? Instead of fear, choose to rest in the power of God. And finally, for all of you, no matter where you are, I want to encourage you this semester, this week, to step boldly forward in the power of God. In your classes, in your relationships, with people that are hard to love, with people that are bitter towards you, I want to encourage you to step boldly towards them, knowing that God is working in you, empowering you to be Christ towards them. That is what Jesus says in Matthew 28. He says, I have all authority. I have all power. Therefore, go. Go. I want to challenge you. Go. Step forward in God's power this week, this semester, and see what He will do through you. God's power is with us, God's power is for us, and it is fully available in the gospel. I want to end tonight by speaking these words. It is the prayer of the Apostle Paul that I began with. It's Ephesians 1, 18 through 19. And so I'm just going to ask you guys to close your eyes, and this will count as our prayer for tonight. Ephesians 1, 18 through 19 Says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that is, opened, so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, God's calling on your life. What is the wealth, the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints? how rich you are in Christ Jesus. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. In your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen.